All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 uh, in the, the Word of God. Uh, let's look there and we'll read verses 1 through 8, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. All right, it says this in the Word of God, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is giving grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you for your goodness and grace. And uh, Lord, we thank you for getting us to this point in the week. And uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for uh, helping uh, meet our needs, Lord God, giving us that daily bread. And Lord, we thank you, God, that we can trust you, uh, Lord, with every aspect of our lives. And Lord, that, uh, Lord, you're there to guide us. And Lord, no doubt, uh, many need wisdom about important decisions in their life. Uh, people need safety as they're traveling. Lord, uh, we think of Sister Karen's uh, home uh, being sold. Lord, you care about that. And so, Lord, we I pray that you'd uh, give her uh, wisdom there and uh, the realtors and, uh, Lord, uh, uh, direct to the right person there that that'd be able to be uh, taken care of. And, Lord, we think of uh, the McLean's uh, cars. Lord, you care about these uh, physical things. Lord, you gave us a physical body to live in a physical world. So, Lord, you care about that that side of it, and we trust you with it. And, Lord, even our uh, the health of our body, we pray for those. Now, Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture, Lord, uh, help us uh, uh, to learn and to be excited about what we read in the Word of God. Lord, we want to be excited about being saved. We want to be excited about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as we learn uh, what He's done for us, what He's done in us, and what He desires to do through us, that in everything He might have the preeminence. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. I actually want to focus on verse 8, but just to look at a couple things in the other verses right before we... Uh, get there. Of course, it says there in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Of course, you know, we, we oh, he was in jail and, uh, you know, they put him there and really they didn't have a good reason to have him there. And uh, matter of fact, in Acts, you see, hey, we would let him go if he wouldn't appeal to Caesar, right? But uh, no matter uh, who was holding him captive, he knew that, hey, he trusted the Lord with his life. And he said, hey, uh, uh, it might have been this man that put me here, a man that made a decision, but I know at the end of the day, I'm not their prisoner. I'm the prisoner of the Lord, and I trust him. And we have to remember that, even though uh, situations might happen in our life, and we think, well, this person did that to me, or that that person, well, uh, that, that, that might be true. It might be some man that turned the, uh, the key on that or whatever it was, but he knew ultimately uh, what happened to him. He rested in the faithfulness of God, and that's why he said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He said, I beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. We all have a calling. We know that we have a holy calling. Uh, the Bible says, and we as believers want to walk worthy of that. Right now, we, this talks about a walk. Now, we know we're in a race. We talked about that 
recently. But of course, we know we start off as babes in Christ. And uh, babes don't start off running. Aren't you glad for that? <laughs> Aren't you glad they, they don't start off running? Uh, all right, Johnny, we're bringing you home from the hospital. Hey, stop! You know, aren't you glad that it's, that's not how it happens? That it sort of work up to that because once they do start walking, whoo, that's it, right? So you're glad you get that little chance to uh, rest up and prepare for it. But hey, we start off as uh, babes, and of course, you know, like them, we got to learn to walk before we can run. So the, the of course, the Christian life begins with one step, that first step of faith in Jesus Christ, and then, uh, then of course, it evolves and it progresses, which is what we want, right? We want it to progress. And then come the demands of trying to balance it and have the strength that we need to pursue life. So we learn to walk, and then we learn to run and learn to stand on the things we should stand on as believers. So a lot of things you could say about that verse, but going into verse 2, it says, but walking what? <laughs> with all lowliness, meekness, with long-suffering, Boy, uh, that's not how the, the world, you know, wants to teach us. And, of course, you know, uh, we think about who is I was talking to somebody recently about, you know, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, being a man and a man's man and all that stuff. You know, we like those things. So, man, we hear words like that and we're like, well, what? Huh? Me? Uh, you know, oh, no. Uh, part of being a man is uh, knowing how to uh, be, be uh, gracious. I've said it before. One of the greatest days of my life is, when I realized how weak I was, right? Men don't like to admit that, but when I realized how weak I was and that I didn't have to go through life, you know, uh, trying to push my way through, I could go through life with him leading me through and so I could rest in his strength so I could, I could you know, learn uh, to be lowly, hopefully, and meek and long uh, uh, suffering. And boy, you know, remember that there's a word for you tonight, Sister Karen, long suffering, amen, but hopefully... That speeds out there. But notice this, forbearing one another. Now, we see how we're supposed to walk before the Lord. But, of course, as believers, we got to work with another. And that word forbear means to bear with, to put up with. Sorry, you're stuck with me, right? We got to, I know, I know I'm, I'm hard to put up with, but you're going to have to put up with me. Sorry about that. Hey, some of you kind of tough to put up with, too. So, you know, it works both ways here, right? But we got we to gotta forbear, sometimes five bear, six bear. I don't know how that works. But sometimes it's not always easy, but that's what it means to put up with, but also means to sort of hold up, right? And uh, sort, sort of being there for one another and try and keep each other for falling. You know, hey, uh, maybe, maybe you're having a week where, you know, you're feeling kind of weak and, you know, things seem a little bit tougher. Hey, listen, I want to be there for you. Let me know. Call me. Tell me how to pray for you. If I got to come over, I'll come over. But you know what? Hey, uh, if, if, if I'm, because if I'm having a, week, a rough week, you know what? Uh, I want you to be there uh, for me too. And so, you know, it's, uh, you know, we talk about marriage. Oh, yeah, marriage is supposed to be 50-50. <laughs> Get that out of your brain, right? So actually, it's supposed to be 100-100, right? It's supposed to be 100-100. But we know sometimes it's zero-zero, right? <laughs> Just joking, <laughs> right? But you know what? We got to be there for one another. We got to be there for one another, right? Commitment, trust, right? Keep on uh, going for the Lord. But you know what? That's how it is in our relationships too. Now think about that. If you have, if you have times with those that you're closest to and those you love the most, then how do you think it's going to be with other people, right? So you know what? Hey, 
Sometimes, hopefully, we come in, hey, brother, hey, sister, and sometimes our connection, maybe it's 100-100, right? But hey, we may come in, and one of us, uh, you know, uh, may be a, a zero that day. So you know what? Hey, if you're the one that's 100 that day, hey, I need to uh, feed off with what's going on in your life. And if you're having a down day, hopefully you can feed off what's uh, going on in my life, and we can forbear one another. We can hold each other up. We can be there and encourage one another. You know, think about that, you know. Uh, we come into work, and even in church, we get in, we get in habits, right? All right, we, you know, we get in the habit of talking to the same people all the time, right, Brother Lester, right, Brother Ari? I'm just saying that for your wife's sake, just you know, just messing with you. But hey, listen, try to talk to someone at church you haven't talked to or normally don't talk to, right? Hey, let's all get to know one another and encourage one another. They're going to get me back for that somehow. I already know it. I can see it in Ari's eyes. But learn to forbear one another. And then it says in verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity. There it is. Why do we got to be there for one another? Right? Because we want unity among our relationships, we want unity in the house of God, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We want to keep peace in the house of God. So we have, and that what? That word endeavor means to make every effort to do one's best. It's like we were talking about in marriage, right? We got we to gotta work at it. Well, we got to work at it in the church. We got to work at it uh, in, in uh, our uh, relationship with her. Sister uh, Sherry's not here tonight, but if she was, I'd say, Sister Sherry, right? We got to work at this, right? We got to work at, uh, at getting along. But that's what that means, to, be, to, uh, to make every effort to do one's best. And so, hey, are, are we doing our best to have a good relationship amongst uh, one another uh, here in uh, the house of God? Why? Again, keeping the unity. That's what we want. Now, we do not manufacture some religious form of unity, but God has given us unity. As we see right here, God has given us unity, and so that's why it says keep the unity. Just like it says keep the faith, right? God gave us the faith, and he says keep it, right? Maintain it. And God put us together. He put the same things in us. We can draw from the same resources, right? Uh, So, uh, you know, we might be a little bit different in some ways, but our focus is just supposed to be that, our unifying factor is Christ and what we have in Christ and what God provides for us, like all these things mentioned in these verses. You see, God has given us unity, and we need to maintain it. And how do we maintain that? Well, he shows how much he wants unity by all the ones, if you will, mentioned here in verses 4 through 6. Notice what it says here. Endeavoring, again, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity... The oneness, that's what unity is, right? The oneness. Well, how do we keep the oneness? Well, by everybody being in tune with all these ones, <laughs> if you will, that he mentioned in verses 4 through 6. There's one body. Hey, listen, we're all part of the, the, the same uh, 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 body. Not sure which one of you is the ear. Not sure which one's the, uh, the nose and all, all, all that. Me, I'm probably the big toe, right? And uh, one Lord, one faith. Well, it says, going back to verse 4, one body, one spirit. We got that same spirit. We're part of the same body. We have that same spirit working through us, even as we are called in one hope of our calling, right? One Lord. We're all serving the same person. One faith. We have the, 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 the same uh, message. Uh, one, uh, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all, right? He's above all and through all and in you all. He's in all of us if we're saved. And so as we're yielding to that spirit, as we're rejoicing to be a part of the same body and all those things, right, we should be heading in the same direction and maintaining the unity 
that he has given us to maintain as believers. In fact, you know, Christ prayed for us to have unity. Uh, uh, in uh, John 17, his great prayer, notice some verses that the Lord said talking about us being in unity or in, in one. John 17, 11 says this, and now, part of his prayer, and now I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one. And boy, then he puts a high standard on it, as we are. I mean, who, who, is there ever been a time that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit weren't in unity? You know, huh? Now you say, well, we know there was a separation to carry, but you know what I'm saying? No, they've all, well, that was all the will of the triune God, right? Even though a lot was going on there. Of course, they have perfect unity. And he says, you know what? He says, he says uh, what is he saying? He's saying, hey, uh, uh, Jeff, I want your relationship with those people at the church to be in unity, to be one, just like me and the Father one, I want you guys to have that oneness, right? That same desire. He goes on and says this in verses 20 through 23. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me. See, he's praying for future believers. So, hey, right there, right there is where we get in. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. How are they going to believe it? By seeing the, the way we, uh, not only our relationship with him, but our relationship with one another. And the glory which thou gavest me, I've given them, that they may be one. Here it is again, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know, there it is again, that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. But we rejoice that, hey, we have that same, that he loves us, the Father loves us like he loved him, but yet we have that same oneness. So uh, just some thoughts there from those verses, but uh, look at verse 8. <clears throat> I sort of got this thought. I was, uh, Brother uh, Wood has been teaching about, of course, the end times and the rapture and all those things. And he was talking about the rapture the other day. And afterwards, somebody asked me a, a question. And it's sort of, uh, uh, this is actually the verse that I mentioned when I was trying to uh, answer their question. So that's why this verse came on my heart. But verse 8, right? We'll go ahead and read verse 7, then verse 8. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So listen, if all that oneness don't work, trying to put up with one another, Lord, give me the grace to put up with them. Amen. You can get in on that. Verse 8 says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And so the thought and the, the question I was asked the other day about, you know, what happened with Old Testament saints, what happened with them and the rapture and all those things? I said, well, hey, uh, they, 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 they were uh, taken up there when he led captivity captive. Verse 8, right, the, that thought of he led captivity captive, this carries the thought of a triumphant conqueror returning from battle. 
right? Which, of course, you know, you think of the Romans, that's what you think of. You think of uh, those triumphant conquerors, Rome, you know, uh, conquered so much of the world. And so they were used to those victories. And, uh, and so the common man would have understood this thought. So that the, 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 the victor there or the general, whoever it was, he would conquer the enemy and then took them back to display them as trophies of victory before those he had fought on behalf of. Now think about that. He went and he conquered the enemy and then he brought them back and said, hey, I have conquered these on your behalf. <laughs> That's what the Lord did. You see, he went and he conquered some things for us and then he puts them on display, if you will, and he said, see all this I did for thee. All this I did for thee. It's actually a quote from Psalm 68, 18, which says this, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. So, verse 8, he led captivity captive. And, of course, this is a term we see in a few places in the Bible. In Judges, when we think about Deborah and Barak, <laughs> Judges uh, uh, 4, Right, uh, 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 God, uh, He had uh, brought a victory for through, for Deborah and Barak, and it says uh, this in uh, Judges four twenty three and twenty four. It says, "So God subdued on that day Jabin the king of Canaan before the children of Israel. So God gave them a victory over Canaan, and the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed." against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Uh, Canaan. So they had this great victory you read about there in Judges. And so after they gained that great victory, they sang a song of triumph. In chapter 5, you sing a song of triumph that uh, Deborah and Barak are singing about winning that victory. So verse 1 tells you that of Judges 5. It says, Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of uh, Abinoam, on that day, sang. They wrote this song. And you go, it's a long song. But then you go down to verses 12 and 13. It says this. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, and lead thy captivity captive, thou son of Abinoam. Then he made him that remaineth have dominion. Look at this. Have dominion over the nobles and among the people. The Lord made me have dominion over the mighty. So he led captivity captive. These are people that Israel had fought with. And no doubt they had probably at times captured people of Israel. And now Barak went in and uh, he led that. And now he, he was bringing captivity captive. Those that had been taking them captive, he had now taken them captive. And now he was bringing them and showing the trophies of his victory. Amos 1.6 uses this thought. Thus saith, thus saith the Lord. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. Now, this is talking about people that uh, had conquered Israel and they had them captive and then they turned them over to some people that would treat them even worse. And so you see, they led their captivity captive. So. But usually when somebody led captivity captive, there were actually two parts at least to it. First, the conquering of the foe or the enemies. The conquering of the foe or enemies. So the conqueror leads out those he had captured, basically saying the capturers have now become the captive. 
So they're saying this, say, listen, like uh, they're with uh, Barak and Deborah. Hey, these were people that were holding our people captive. And now those that were holding our people captive are now the ones being held captive. <laughs> so we've captive, right? We captivated, right? We've uh, brought into uh, captivity those that were holding us captive, holding our people captive. So we've led captivity captive. Those that were holding us captive, we now have them, right, in captivity. So that's what the Lord did. Satan, death, the grave, and hell were our captives, right? They held us captive. We were, uh, the, 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 the man, man was being held captive by Satan. Man was being held captive by death. Man was being held captive by the, the thought of going to hell, right? And, and, and the grave was our captive. But now Christ, these that held man captive, Christ has now taken them captive through his death, burial, and resurrection. Hebrews 2.14 says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death, through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, right? That is the devil. So through his death, right, uh, Satan held us uh, uh, bound by death. He held us bound by sin, and Christ, through his death, conquered the one that had been conquering us. Revelations 1.18 says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Now he, he conquered hell and death. Think about that. Uh, the devil don't even have the keys to his, own, uh, uh, to his own house, right? Don't you help him out there, Ari, right? Don't, don't help him out there, Ari, right? He don't even have the keys uh, to his own house. The God, Jesus has keys to the hell and death. Psalm 68, 20 and 21 says this, He that is our God is the God of salvation, and unto God the Lord belong the issues from death. But God shall wound the heads of his enemies. So God wounded the head of Satan. Of course, that was prophesied way back in Genesis 3.15, the first promise given after the fall of man. And so Christ, right, man was being held captive by sin. Man was being held captive by death and the grave and hell. All these things were a fear in his life. And they held him captive and Christ came and he conquered or brought into captivity that which had kept us captive. So he led captivity captive. That's what that thought means. And Colossians 2.15 says this, having spoiled the principalities and powers, including the devil and his angels, right? He spoiled them. That word spoiled means to strip of power and authority. He took the power and authority that Satan had. He took the power and authority that death had. He took the power and authority that the grave had over us, right? He says he spoiled the principalities and powers, and he made a show of them openly. What did he do? He openly said, right, look, I've conquered these. He, brought, he said, listen, I've conquered these on your behalf. These are the things you feared. These are the things that had you in bondage, and I want you to know I've conquered them, and I'm openly saying, hey, look, you don't have to fear these anything. These things can't take you into captivity anymore. I've conquered them. And it says, look at this, triumphing over them in it. So 
He made a show of them. And that's what a conqueror does. He says, look who I've conquered. So Jesus Christ, he brought, he brought before everyone, he brought sin, death, hell, Satan, right? And he says, look who I've conquered. And who does he bring it before? He brings it before those that he was fighting on behalf of, right? A general goes out and fights for his country. And then he says, look, everybody, I was fighting on your behalf and I've conquered these things on your behalf and I want you to see that they're defeated. And that's what Christ did. He led captivity captive because he wants you to see that your enemies are defeated on your behalf. He fought for your behalf and he wants you to say, look, death is defeated. Hell is defeated. The grave is defeated. Sin is defeated. I want you to know that. I went and I fought them on your behalf and now I'm letting you know that I've triumphed over them. And so what a great thing. Christ conquered that which held man captive and has now taken them into captivity for time and eternity. Christ is the conqueror of conquerors. And that which held us in bondage is now in bondage, right? Or being controlled by Christ. So, the, so there were two parts of that. The first thing, the conqueror conquered those, right? The enemy. And then secondly, what else did he do? He went in and then he led those that were captive free, right? He set the prisoners of war free, if you will. That's what he did, right? He set people free. He set people free. So besides conquering the conqueror, he would set free those that were being held. That is those that, or what, what was he going in? He said, hey, these people shouldn't be over here. They belong to my country. And so I want to bring them back to my country those that were being held. So he would bring uh, those that were prisoners of war or uh, prisoners of captivity, and then he brought them home. So Christ leads those that he had taken captive, right, to put them on display, and then he also, right, led those in paradise out to final and completely, right, led them free. Now, of course, what happened? We know before Jesus Christ was buried and rose again the third day, Right, that man didn't go straight to heaven. There was there was something that was still holding them back. Right, that final price had to be paid, and so what did he do? He went back and he said, "Hey, they shouldn't be here. They should be home. Right? They should be in my country. They belong to me." And so he took them. He took them home. Is what he did. And those captives, if you will, not in the sense they'd been delivered from sin because they'd believed, but yet they were still being held. Right in a place because Jesus Christ had not yet died. And those that were captive, you will be in hell in paradise, he brought home with him. Let's look at a little bit of that. Because before Christ's resurrection, man did not go straight to heaven. He went to paradise. Of course, what did he say to the thief on the cross? Luke 23, 43, he said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Of course, we know in Luke 16, we have the man this. And it came to pass, Luke 16, you know about the man that went to hell. The rich man died. Lazarus, the beggar died. And it says this in Luke 16, 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels, what? Into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Now that term, Abraham's bosom, was a term that the Jews used for paradise. They called it Abraham's bosom. And so that's where people went before uh, the resurrection. Luke 16, 23, talking about the rich man. Uh, he held up, he, in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. He could, 
He could see there. I'm not sure how that worked, but that's what the Word of God says. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So there was that grave gulf betwixt, but we see there were two parts uh, within the earth there. Now, I think another interesting portion of Scripture that shows that is 1 Samuel 28. Remember when Saul had that woman uh, call up Samuel? Listen to what it says. Very interesting. Now, you know what happened that uh, he had done away with all those that did witchcraft and all that stuff. And so he, you know, he, uh, he, pretended to be somebody else, and he went in there, but of course, she figured it out. But that's sort of the story, but let, let me just go in here in 1 Samuel 28, beginning of verse 10. And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, notice the statement, Who shall I bring up? Notice that statement, bring up. And he said, bring me up. Samuel. And the woman saw Samuel, and when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. Notice verse 13. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, Now you gotta remember, she's a, a witch or whatever she is. Notice, and I saw gods, which is what she thinks spirits were, right? Small G's. I saw gods ascending out of the, what's that word? Earth. It didn't say in the heavens. It says, I see them ascending out of the earth. So she actually saw, I don't know how, how all that happened, but she saw that, hey, they're somewhere inside the earth. It says, I see them ascending from the earth. So I think that's good verses to sort of back that truth up. And he said unto her, What form is he? And she said, An old man cometh, and he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me? Look, to bring me up. So you see that the old saints went into this place called paradise. There was somewhere in earth, and somehow she saw these gods ascending from the earth. Very interesting. Very interesting. And 1 Peter 3.19 says this, talking about Christ when, when, when he was uh, 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 during the three days before he rose. 1 Corinthians 3.19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. He preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, I believe those in prison were maybe those in hell. And maybe, I don't know if he went in there and, and said, hey, you know, we, we, we told you this was going to happen. And it's happened, and this is what you missed on. And they were, so maybe they could understand, well, we've gotten what we deserved. This is, we rejected, we rejected this. But also, I, uh, Christ, I believe he, I, now personally, I believe, people debate this, but personally, I think he went to the hell side of it too, because I think he paid the full price for our sins. And if I would die, where would I go without Christ? So that's another debate. But it says, he, so he captured and he delivered. That's what a conqueror did. He captured right, the enemy, and then he delivered those that needed to be set free. And so even though these were saints, right, what did he do? He went, he captured what needed to be captured during that time period, and then he delivered, amen, uh, those that were in captivity, if you will. And of course, Matthew 27, we see this. 
Something, turn over to Matthew 27, and so, I think something very interesting here. Maybe you've noticed this, maybe you haven't, but I think it's worth noting. In Matthew 27, well, you know the story, right? Christ, uh, uh, he, he's upon the cross. We'll begin in verse 51 of Matthew 27. It says this, And behold, the veil of the temple was written twain from top to bottom. We understand that, right? Because Christ came down. Right. And the earth. Now, here it is. The earth did quake and the rocks did rent. Verse 52. And look, the graves were opened. But notice something. Notice what happens. The graves were opened and many of the saints which slept arose. But catch this and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those that were uh, what were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the son of God. Now, did you catch that? Uh, that it was after the resurrection that the bodies came out. So it appears God used the earthquake to open the graves, but the people didn't come out. So on the day he died, as he was on the cross, there was an earthquake and the graves opened. But yet the people didn't come out of the graves until three days, late, three days uh, uh, later. And I, I sort of thought about this. It's as if God opened the graves by the earthquakes as if they were put on notice. Stand by for liftoff. <laughs> Amen. Stand by for liftoff. Isn't that what they say for Raga? Stand by for liftoff. So sort of like God came by and opened up the grave and said, stand by for liftoff. Amen. The countdown is on. Amen. I'm on the cross. The countdown is on. Amen. And we're going to be out of here in a short time. And so it, 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 God used this. They were put on notice and symbolizing, and it's symbolizing this, that the, that the death he was dying at that moment was going to bring victory over the grave. He, 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 had a, he, did a, he made a public statement. He made a public statement that everyone could see, right, that this death I'm dying is going to bring power over the grave. In fact, we know 1 Corinthians 15, 55, which says what? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? We know that they were swallowed up, amen, by Christ. So, of course, Christ had to rise first. Why? Because he had to be the first fruits. Christ had, so they said, they had to, oh, you know, hold on, boys, stay back, amen. Christ has to rise first. He's got to be the first fruits. Acts 26, 23, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show unto the people and to the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits. And notice that it says, of them that slept. I think that's referring to the Old Testament saints, of them that slept. Not them that are going to sleep, right? We know that's true too, but of them that were already asleep, right? Because we know people rose again when he did. And so he was the first fruit of them that slept, those that he was bringing out of paradise and out of the grave. Now, here's what's kind of interesting. And, and, and remember there, it says, notice again what it says there in verse 54, I mean, verse 53, and came out of the grave after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So I think, I think maybe Christ, one of the reasons Christ did that is I got thinking about it. They tried to come up with an explanation for Christ's body not being in the grave. Oh, well, tell them that his disciples told him. Well, 
so, you know, we can only, uh, uh, you know, well, here's the thing. What was their excuse for those other bodies that disappeared out of the grave? <laughs> well, maybe, you know, maybe they fooled them with Christ, but there were several people that graves were empty. How did they explain those? Well, of course, they couldn't, right? Well, you know, what happened to those people? Well, I can only assume that, you know, when Christ rose from the dead, that he stayed upon earth, what, 40 days, and maybe he let them hang around 40 days. We can only assume that uh, they went back with him because we know, we read in Acts 1-9 about him ascending, ascending. It says, Acts 1, 9, and when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they, uh, now a cloud received him, a cloud received him out of sight. Now, some people say, was that a cloud? Like he's going to come back a cloud or was that, you know, our cloud of witnesses? You know, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to expound on it because it doesn't, it doesn't say. But a thought, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, we know at least these two men, the angels, probably stood by them in white apparel. And so an interesting thought there that he led captivity captive. He, he took captive those that need to be taken captive, our enemies, amen, and then he emptied uh, uh, paradise because salvation had been complete through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, we are confident, right? This is how it is now. Thank God we don't have to go uh, to paradise or wait. So that God took care of that. And now when people die, what happens? We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord. So he's led captivity captive. He took them up. And now when we die, we go straight up. Amen. Thank God that's the advantage of being on this side. There's no holding tank. Amen. No holdover. We get to go straight to heaven. And then I'll finish with this, and it says, and he gave gifts unto men. You see, the, the conqueror, he came, he took into captive those that needed to be taken captive. He set free those that needed to be set free. And then, amen, as a sign of goodwill, he would give gifts, amen, to those around him. We see an example of that of David. When he, re, when he got the victory and he regained the covenant, I'll just give you the, I mean, the Ark of the Covenant, and he returned with victory and joy. It says this in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 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 6. I'll just, uh, I'll just give you, he brought back the covenant, and they, they had a time of rejoicing, and it says this in verse 19, and he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, amen, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. So it's a sign of rejoicing, amen, of conquering. The conqueror would give gifts, amen, to his people. And that's what Christ did, right? He went in and he led those that needed to be taken captive, death, sin, hell, the grave. He took them captive. He took away their power and their authority. Those that needed to be set free, he set free. And it was a sign of rejoicing. He gave gifts, amen, unto men. He gave gifts. And he said, what was he saying? He was saying, hey, I've conquered these things. I've set you free. Here's some gifts, amen. Rejoice with me. Let's rejoice together at this victory. So in conclusion, thank God our enemies are defeated. Our fellow saints, amen, from, uh, 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 from days gone by will meet us in glory and we get to enjoy the gifts that Christ has given the church.